It is February 2nd, 2009. Welcome to episode number 11 of Digital Photography Life. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Michael Stein. And today is the Groundhog Day special. If Michael sees his own shadow, then Nikon will not be coming out with any more cameras this quarter. We'll also have an interview with Steve Simon, who's a great photographer. He's a contributor to This Week in Digital Photography, and he will have some no-cost ideas on how to improve your portraiture, as well as a bunch of other topics that we're going to talk about. Steve and I had a great time. We'll be letting you know about the improvements to iPhoto, which now has facial recognition, We'll have some reviews that have started to come in, and we'll tell you about the four full-frame DSLRs that you can now buy for under $3,000 and where we think you should put your money and where we wouldn't. But first, the theme music. Happy Groundhog Day, Michael. Happy Groundhog Day to you, whatever that means. Well, I, I know in Vermont, it's typical to dress as a furry, wood-like creature <laughs> for Groundhog Day. So what did you wear? Uh, I'm wearing a black fleece. Black fleece. <laughs> hey, did, did you see your own shadow? Uh, yeah. All right. So that means, it, was it other 12 more weeks of winter? I don't know. No, it can't be 12 more weeks. That's three more months. <laughs> that's three months? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, like what it is in Vermont, yes. So, so that's true. In Vermont, there's no spring. <laughs> there's winter and then a couple of hot days and then yeah. fall. <laughs> All right. Well, fall there is so pretty that that's not so bad. It makes uh, up for it. We had a great time talking with Steve Simon, and you, you set up that interview. Yeah, and I'm sorry I couldn't make it. You're the booking agent now for the show. He, he's a super guy. I knew he'd be great. Well, we have a lot of fun. I hope that y'all who are listening have as much fun as Steve and I had. Um, thank you all for listening. Thanks also to Smug Mug for their sponsorship of the show. Please check out scottsphotoblog.com. Uh, they have a terrific offer from Smug Mug there. You can get the code that will give you 50% off your last year, your last year, your first year, <laughs> hopefully your first of many years of service from Smug Mug on our last show. That's what I was thinking of. Michael, on our last show, Laurel Housden, our wonderful guest, spoke about how much she loves Smug Mug, and you will too. You can always try it out for 15 days for free, but when you're ready to go ahead and buy that first year of service, make sure you go to Scott's Photo Blog to get the code for 50% your first year of service. Also, they have an offer. There's a link on my blog where you can get a free camera strap, and if you scroll down, you'll see a lot of people have put their comments about the strap, and everybody loved it, thinks it's really comfortable, very ergonomic and certainly better than the strap that came with their camera for for what kind of price for free which is your favorite price right it's my favorite price i should get one why don't you tell everybody where they can find us on the web also for free you can find us at digital photography life or actually our email is digital photography life at gmail.com send us your comments and questions you can find us at photography.personallifemedia.com that's the podcast homepage and you can find uh, us if you want to have any comments that you want to say publicly you can go to scottsphotoblog.com where you can keep track of his news that he writes and uh, 
comment on the show. I don't have anything I want to say publicly, which is what I think makes the podcast so dull. There's nothing I'm willing to admit <laughs> yeah, you to. Have no, you have nothing to say. No, that's me. And don't we have a Smug Mug site, too? And we have a Smug Mug site at dplife.smugmug.com. And go there. You can see the entries for our first photo contest on the show, The Joy of Photography. Do you know what the count was? What did we get? About 100 entries? Er, I forgot the number. It's over 100. Over 100. So good luck to all the contestants. And we'll be judging that and announcing the results soon. And we can't wait to do that, right? Yep. That will be a lot of fun. All right. Well, we just have a little news. Unless you, do you have anything in your personal life or anything in your personal picture-taking odyssey you want to share? No, it's just that, you know, I have a thing where in winter, for some reason, and right now we're really in the dead of winter, where I just stop taking photographs or I, I slow down. I don't stop. I just trickle down. Like I, okay. I, I shot some birthday parties in January, but I, 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 have, I don't shoot so much in the wintertime, in the cold winter. It could be those sub-zero temperatures. It, it is those sub-zero temperatures that are keeping me at home. And uh, it's just hard to shoot. So I'm you, sort of desperate be, to go out. And I'm just going to go out and brave in the cold one of these days. You week. could be part bear and be hibernating. I could be part bear. Uh, it, well, it's like, or part squirrel. Or, or part groundhog to bring it full circle. And they hibernate, right? That's why he only comes out. Is that what it is? And, I guess so, because he's in a hole, right? And he comes out for a little bit, sees the shadow, and goes back in the hole, I always thought. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> I have we, no we, idea how that works. You know what? You, people might want to check out our new podcast, Groundhog Life, <laughs> where we discuss the habits of groundhogs. But for now, let's stop that conversation. Good. Let's talk about uh, iPhoto, the new version of iPhoto. We spoke about it two shows ago that it was coming out. Now it is shipping. Mac World did a review of it. More of a sort of like a first take, I should say, than a thorough review. And I thought they pretty much had the experience of exactly what I thought they would have. That, you know, they, they didn't give a percentage rate, but, you know, certainly not 100% of, of the, um, it, well, we should explain first that this is a facial recognition technology. What it does is it finds faces in your album and then you tell it whose face it is. It looks for similar faces. And after a while, after some training, it should automatically organize into albums subjects within your library according to who they are so that you could just eventually have, you know, be able to click on Joe and you'll get all of the Joe pictures, the ones you've tagged, but all of the ones you have not tagged, the camera, the, the iPhoto will automatically tag them for you. I think that eventually this technology will be ubiquitous. Everyone will have this, right? Oh, I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, face, you know, in the cameras, face recognition has been out there for a while. And I, I guess I've heard other advanced features and other security systems, I guess, that they have face recognition. And so this is finally hitting the consumer technology where, where it's actually face recognition. And I think it's pretty neat. But, you know, the ability to recognize a face is going to change so drastically because, you know, depending on whether the face is tilted up or down or full profile or half profile or three quarters, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I wonder if they're going to start, you know having some sort of 3D facial scan that you do. And if you, if people, have, I guess, have some sort of profiles like that, then it'll help the software. Well, Macworld, Macworld found that um, it worked pretty well, but, you know, obviously not perfectly. They said that it took iPhoto about eight minutes 
to scan through their 1300 photo library. So, and they said that's about what iPhoto estimated it would take. My iPhoto library is about 7,000 images, but in iPhoto, I only have sort of my favorite images, not every shot. I mean, every shot would probably be like 50 or 60,000, right? I, well, yeah. I mean, and the other thing is how many, not all my photos have faces in them, and some have lots of faces and some have don't. Well, that was one of the funny things that they said iPhoto sometimes found faces in vases, <laughs> in tables. Uh, there was a, a poster of an actress named Neve Campbell that found her and asked, you know, said, who's she? <laughs> uh, but they, they said that, um, it, it, you know, it does seem to do better with training. Um, and the more you manually go through and tag examples of the person you want to label, the better the facial recognition feature will be. So the example they gave was that after their writer named just a few photos of his wife, Faces found 20 or so photos of her out of several hundred. Once he manually labeled 30 pictures of his wife, Faces found well over 100 pictures of her. So, so the, the more, more so you the bigger sample rate that it has, the more right. it has to go by. Right. It did find, according to them, Faces did a pretty good job recognizing kids' faces as they aged. Wow which I thought was impressive. Um, they wrote that Faces identified a wide range of pictures of his older daughter during her baby and toddler years, a period in which her face changed dramatically. I'm, see, I'm going to guess that that actually is not working like they think they are. it is. My guess is that in this guy's library, he only had pictures of one kid from baby to toddler. Right. If I took my you know? two sons and right. who looked a lot alike as babies and then see how it... It'd be interesting to see how that goes. Tag, right. tag them as babies first and then have it go down to the rest of the collection, see how they age. I bet yeah, you my would, guess I, that was a skewed I bet you would sample. Have um, they said Faces did a su surprisingly good job identifying Faces in out-of-focus pictures. Although you have to wonder why people are keeping all those out-of-focus <laughs> pictures on their hard drive, right? And why do you want to... Well, sometimes people are just out-of-focus because they're not the subject. Right. That could be true. Um, on the other hand, faces seem to think every blonde-haired female in his photo library was the same person, even ones 30 years apart in age, and faces occasionally found faces in flowers, bottles, and other inanimate objects. On other occasions, faces suggested pictures of a man as matches for a woman and vice versa, and uh, they go on to clarify they're talking men with short brown hair and women with long blonde hair. Well, you know, it's just a machine. And they it's said awkward. that also in a lot of the uh, their kids' toys, there are faces, you know, in dolls or little baby toys that have a smiley face on it, and faces wanted to know who those people were. Well, because it's recognizing the shapes of faces. And so yeah. this, they understand these are eyes, this is a nose, this is a mouth, and that's all it needs. Well, listen, I don't want to confuse it with my extensive Barbie catalog, so... I have to be careful with that. But, you know, that's kind of what I expected. You'd see some, you know, some variation with it and some mistakes. But the fact that it can do it at all, I think, is really neat. I can't wait to play with it. And I mean, just, and the idea of it, it's, it's identifying the face. It's not just saying that this person is in the photo. Like, like right now, often I put keywords in my photos in Lightroom. And, you know, but I don't know where that person is in the photo. 
necessarily right. or someone not seeing it. But here you can see in their demonstration of the product that you see under their names, under their faces, all their names, which is pretty neat. Yeah, it's very cool. I can't wait to play with it. And, you know, it's not, uh, you know, we, we talked about it for two shows now because while it's interesting that iPhoto has it, and iPhoto is a, a pretty tragically crippled program because of the way it handles your files. But um, it's interesting because Lightroom will have it soon and Aperture will have it soon. Picasso will have it soon. You know, this stuff is going to trickle down. Well, I know that, we, remember we went to PMA last year and there was a company called Photo Nation. Mm-hmm. And they develop all the technology inside these cameras that do um, face the all the face detection and right. smile detection. I wonder if they're behind any of this or if Apple's grown this themselves. I don't know, but they were the big players in the field. You know, they're the ones who, who, yeah, who totally master that kind of technology. So I'm wondering if Apple's licensed this out. If Apple has grown this themselves, then it may be some time before some competitors uh, come out with something like well, but it. but if PhotoNation has it, right, and PhotoNation, you know, is a company that sells its software to a lot of camera manufacturers that have facial detection. Uh, some of the camera manufacturers, I'm thinking Panasonic, but that could be wrong. Say we use PhotoNation's technology, you know, underlying software. Mm-hmm. Some of the camera manufacturers pass it off as their branded software, right? Yes. So I don't know if... Um, if they're, you know, providing this for Apple, but if not, you know, other companies I'd imagine could use that or similar vendors. I'm sure there are other people in the space. Right. Uh, yeah, right. All right. Well, let's, uh, speaking of space, this is the worst transition ever. Speaking of space, let's talk about full frame DSLRs under $3,000, shall we? Sure. For we thought for a while we'd never see them, right? Pardon me? We thought for a while we would never see yeah, them. Yeah, they became, they were, it was like a dream. <laughs> it was like a mirage. Now, do you have the list in front of you? Yeah. All right. Tell everybody, what are the four full-frame DSLRs people can get for under $3,000? Well, the first one that on this list that we're looking at lists the 5D, the, the Canon EOS 5D, the original. Right. A three-year-old camera. It was a three-year-old ca- camera, and it was originally it was originally three dot three thousand. Was it? Yeah, three, I think price? it was like thirty-two hundred. Right, two hundred, and now it's around two thousand. Right, and the, of course, then there's the the Mark, the, the same camera, the successor, which is a Canon EOS five D Mark II, and that costs about twenty-seven hundred dollars. You, you want me to keep going? Yeah, go through all four. Okay. Then there's the Nikon D700, which um, originally sold for $3,000, but now I see it for around $2,400. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Sony Alpha, which is uh, full frame, and it's like 24 megapixels, I believe, and that is $3,000. Right. The, um, the uh, 5D, the original 5D, and the D seven hundred are sort of mid megapixel, right? They're about twelve. Yeah, the D seven the D seven hundred is a twelve megapixel camera. And then you can get into the mega megapixels with the five uh, D Mark II and the Alpha A nine hundred, which are about twenty two megapixels. So you know, I don't think either Michael or I think that anybody needs more than twelve megapixels unless they're doing you know, billboards or print photography of still lives in a studio, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just printed a print for a 24 by 36 inch 
canvas wrap, and that was from a from the D seven hundred from the twelve right. megapixel, and it looks fantastic. So right, so you know, as you're printing out larger than two feet by three feet, yeah, then yeah, maybe that'll be important to you. Right. And you are doing a lot of cropping, but in any case, um, all very good cameras. You have got four of them now. Uh, CNET recently did a roundup of these cameras and it sort of, uh, averaged out the results, uh, to give you specific recommendations. They pointed out the least expensive full frame model available today is the original Canon EOS 5D. Now that camera is over three years old and it's not officially sold by Canon anymore. So if you want a full frame for closer to 2000 and 3000, you need to shop quick because that won't be around for much longer. It is a little bit dated in its technology, but it is a much beloved camera and you could probably get some great deals out there on that. The, if you ha- want, um, the fastest shooting of these full frame cameras, maybe you're a sports photographer, um, and you're already invested in the Nikon line, they recommend the D700. Yeah, I now, think the D700 also has, it, while it has a 12 megapixel sensor, I think it has a fantastic sensor. Right. Which is, yeah, which, is, which would be the main reason why I'd buy that camera is mostly because of the, the, I, the high ISO low light capabilities for that sensor. I was interested to read that CNET said that the 12 megapixel resolution may not cut it for some applications. I think it's going to cut it for the vast majority of applications. Um, I think that's a little bit harsh. Uh, If you want in-body image stabilization, or if you have a big investment in Minolta lenses, the only camera among these that offers in-body IS is the Sony Alpha A900. But they didn't love the camera. They thought it was generally slow and not great at high ISO sensitivities and a bit overpriced. But that built-in image stabilization is sweet because if you want to buy an image-stabilized lens for your Canon or your Nikon, it adds a couple hundred bucks to every single lens you buy. So if you get it in body, you have an advantage, although the in body is not generally rated quite as good as the lens-based stabilization. It's a little bit... Uh, a little bit weaker. Well, usually, usually they, like a two-stop advantage with a right. with a uh, sensor-based one. Usually, like a three to four-stop advantage with a lens-based image. And the thing that drives me crazy is that with the sensor-based image stabilization, when you look through your lens, the image is not stabilized, so it looks all herky-jerky. Um, and if you're working with a zoom, I get seasick. Now, with a lens-based image stabilization, what you see through the viewfinder is stabilized live, which is great. Um, and the uh, conclusion of CNET was that if you want the best combination of performance, photo quality, and features, the Canon EOS 5D Mark II, love that name, the 5D Mark II, comes out on top. It's also the only one with video capture, very, very well-regarded video capture, full uh, high definition. Uh, but aside from that, CNET says it's simply a great shooter's camera. And Michael, you and I would very uh, typically give the advice, as we always do, stick with the Nikon and the Canon, and you can't go wrong, right? That's Yeah, that's pretty much what this article is saying. (laughs) We don't want to hear from the Sony lovers. We're not Sony haters. But if you're starting out fresh, as we always say, your biggest biggest, uh, potential for lenses and accessories and training and all that kind of stuff is going to lie with 
Nikon and Canon. And according to CNET's review, you can check it out. I'll link to it. They also didn't love the image quality of the Alpha A900 quite as much as they loved the other cameras. But yeah. it's a great day. I'm so tempted to go full frame. Are you? Oh, I'm wrestling with this question every day. You know, I, I go, well, you know, how much does I go? How much it's going to cost me to get a D700 and then the two lenses I want with that? Although the price has gone down, it's still a bunch of the lenses are still highly priced. And then, um, then I say, say, well, maybe I'll get a D300. But then I say, well, maybe I'll get a D90 <laughs> because it's just like a D300 with some, you know, with not as good of a focus system. Um, and some other high-end features not there. But, you know, I was thinking I could spend $1,000 or I could spend, you know, $5,000. Well, wait, welcome to the age of equivocation. You'd also have to upgrade some of your lenses if you went full frame, right? Well, that's the thing. I would, I would want to buy the, um, the, the 14 to 24, mil, you know, 2.8 lens, the, the super wide angle lens, which is fantastic, as well as the 24 to 70 millimeter f2.8 lens, which is also very well re- regarded. So eh, this could be a six seven thousand dollar proposition easily, right? Well, those two lenses combined would be around three thousand dollars, and then the D seven hundred is about twenty four hundred. Although I think I'd buy the kit because the kit is going for around twenty six hundred. That's with the twenty four to one hundred twenty millimeter uh, image stabilized lens. So, I, I lost track. Which camera? The D seven hundred. The D seven hundred with the kit. So it's like for one hundred fifty dollars more, you can buy the kit. With a kit lens, which is $150. Right. It's a, quite a bargain for a full-frame lens like that. All right. Well, if you would like to help this young man achieve his dream <laughs> of a new full-frame DSLR with some hot full-frame lenses, please tell your friends about Digital Photography Life. Write us a five-star review on iTunes so that we can increase our audience and get some more sponsors on so that Michael can afford this camera that he so desperately <laughs> wants. Um, we're going to have our interview with Steve Simon. Speaking of sponsors, it's a terrific interview. Stay tuned for it. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are on the phone with Steve Simon. Hi, Steve. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Excellent. And how are you, my friend? I'm doing very good. I'm, I'm indoors on this uh, cold day here in New York City. How cold is it in New York? Uh, well, I tell you what, um, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Canada, so I, I don't think any day is really that cold because I've experienced real cold. But I, I think it's a little bit below freezing. Ah, well, that's good. Now, if anything goes wrong with the show, I can just attribute it to you because I'm so used to blaming Canada. Absolutely. Blame Canada. Go ahead. Now, Steve, you're the author of four books. You are currently teaching at the International Center for Photography in New York City. You've won multiple awards. I won't bore you by going over all of your accomplishments. Oh, please do. <laughs> no, no, don't. don't. Uh, many of the awards are in Canada, actually, and they're, they're, we accept them here in America. Yeah, it's a smaller market, so they, <laughs> you know, they take about 20% off the top with, you, uh, with the exchange. I know, it's tough, isn't it? Well, well now with the economy, who know, they're about even. Right. You're a contributing photographer and uh, also contribute uh, to, in other ways to the Digital Journalist, which is a... Uh, website that I guess is a resource for the for the news shooter, is that correct? 
Yeah, it's it's really kind of a, a photojournalism uh, kind of go-to site with uh, a lot of lot of great information. It's uh, it's Dirk Halstead's baby. He's a uh, kind of a legendary White House photographer, and he's been documenting uh, Washington for a long time. He lives in 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 Texas now, but uh, um, and he's 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 kind of the the guy who started the whole platypus idea, and that is news photographers kind of morphing into using video, which we know now is, has become uh, a real reality, especially in the um, in the news business. Well, now some of the DSLRs are also shooting video, so you have the best of both worlds. Absolutely, yeah, and I, I suspect uh, we're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, photography is changing, and I know you you talk about it, and uh, and everybody is. So it's 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 kind of exciting. It's you know it's it's I you know I say I say this to a lot of people. I mean, arguably this is probably one of the best times to to be seriously passionate about photography because there's just so much we can do now. Yeah, well, there's incredible ways to access it. You know, with technology that. You couldn't even imagine 10 years ago that would have cost you $20,000 five years ago. And now, you know, for a grand or two, you can be in the game with the same equipment as the pros. No, that's so true. And and frankly, you know, if if I, you know, for a second begin to try and uh, imagine what the photography landscape is going to be, you know, even five years from now, I, I, I just get a headache i can't even i can't even go that far because we're seeing things happen you know in the last year that that have kind of revolutionized uh, a lot of what we do and what we're going to do so it's 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 going to be amazing now you also we should say participate regularly in another podcast that is related to photography this week in photography right I do, I do. That's a lot of fun. I, I started that uh, when I was asked uh, at MacWorld uh, last year, uh, and it's just uh, uh, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it's it's it, it's great. I think uh, there's just so much information out there that people can um, listen to or or view on the web, or you know, there's just so many ways to kind of educate. And uh, you know, this particular show is is just sort of for uh, guys get together and just talk about stuff photographic it's uh it's, it's a lot of fun and i have no problem mentioning that you appear on that podcast we're not really competitors i mean that's a no. podcast where i don't know if people know it but every time someone listens to that podcast uh, an, an adorable kitten dies in agony somewhere. so <laughs> I mean, if, if people are comfortable with that they should listen they, to they don't like week. to publicize that very much but uh, you know i i can't really argue i've i've heard that before well you're a documentarian so you're very much about telling the truth right Absolutely, yeah. That and that's that's the thing, you know. As much as uh, you know, f the photography umbrella, you know, uh, it sort of covers just such a wide range of different kinds of visual pursuits. You know, the one thing about documentary is um, the idea that there is truth in what you're seeing. We all know that, you know, you're obviously not seeing reality, but in what I do, uh, your reputation is 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 so important, and and that's where I draw the line when it comes to. Um, the work that I do, and that is, even in the digital age, I'm I'm not going to sort of fuss with with pixels. I will I will uh, you know finesse an image uh, according to sort of the old rules we used to in the dark and make them brighter, lighter, darker, and uh, dodge and burn and you know color correct. But but I'm not going to be uh, moving pixels around. And there's you could do a whole show on on what's happened in the journalism and photojournalism with regards to the seduction of changing things that way and people that have got and you just can't recover. Well, I would imagine, though, that as a general rule, 
you're not supposed to fake it or make it look like anything. You can enhance it, but I would imagine not distort it. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, you know, every good documentary photographer has their point of view. They're, they're going to show you stuff that they feel is important to them. Um, but at the same time, uh, you have to be true to the situation and, 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 and the experience that you're, uh, that you, that you're in and, and you, you, you need to be, uh, ultimately kind of, um, uh, fair and accurate as to how you're going to to cover a particular story doesn't mean you can't have a strong point of view with it because you know as with any story there's there's a variety of opposing different ideas as to what the real reality is now what is your most recent book that's actually out in, i know there's one you're working on now but what's your most recent that was that came out well, the, the most recent book I did, it's called Heroines and Heroes, Hope, HIV, and Africa, and it, it basically is uh, my documentation of uh, the, the, the scourge of AIDS in Africa, something I, I originally um, covered on an assignment and, and was just so taken by uh, the place and the people and uh, the situation that I thought I, I'll add my voice to this, this issue. It, it could do no harm, maybe do some good. And that is one of the awards you won, was actually from the Global Health Council Media Award for your work, uh, showing, I guess, the true face of AIDS to people, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, with this book, when I look back at a lot of uh, the documentation of uh, of the, the AIDS story, particularly in Africa, but of course it's it's a world story and particularly devastating in, in the poor countries, um, I noticed there was like a lot of black and white and sort of traditional photojournalism. And I guess one of the things that I wanted to do uh, to sort of turn the page on the coverage was to shoot in color. And I love black and white. I loved it in film and I love it digitally as well. Um, um, but I felt that color would be a little more accessible to to the audience, like a Western audience, mm-hmm. an audience that might want to look at this and maybe get involved. And as well, I also wanted to show, um, you know, the everyday life and, and, and some of the surprises uh, and the, the misconceptions that uh, I had going in, which was, you know, everybody's always sad and crying. Uh, life does go on uh, despite uh, the tremendous hardships that, you know, AIDS has, has brought to, to these places. And, and I wanted to show that as well because um, I wanted to show that there was some progress being made and, and this wasn't, though the problem's overwhelming, it's not something that uh, uh, cannot be defeated. And, and as we know, photography is a great way to, to bring that message. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, a lot of what we talk about on our show is about photography as an art form, as a hobby, as a way of documenting your life and preserving your memories of your family, friends, whatever. But photography has a long and, and a very important role as a tool of advocacy, as a way of bringing attention to important social issues that otherwise sort of uh, live in the shadows. And, and it sounds like that's an important part of it to you. Yeah, no, no question, Scott. I agree with everything you said. And, uh, you know, the fact is, even though, you know, digital photography is, is more popular than ever and there are more photos being, you know, snapped than ever before in our history, um, you're in D.C. Uh, were you at the inaugural? Uh, no, I was at the television oh. watching the inaugural. Oh, okay, that was smart. I was actually, uh, I was actually outside, I think, uh, one of my You should have come by. 
I, I should have. I, I wish <laughs> I, I wish you had. You if know, only we had known me. each other then, Steve. I wish you had invited me. I Uh-oh. definitely would have uh, stayed for a few weeks, <laughs> at least to warm but, up. Uh, to warm up, at least it was very, very cold. But I mean, if you want to underline the fact that uh, we are just, you know, photographing everything in sight, um, uh, you just have to be there, and you, you saw everybody photographing everything, you know, with their little cameras, and we'll talk about that Nikon campaign later. I saw a lot of little Nikon cameras everywhere. Uh, to their cell phone cameras, I mean, it was probably arguably the most documented uh, event in, in American history, if not mm-hmm. world history. Um, but that being said, uh, with all the images being photographed uh, and, and everything being covered, uh, you know, in this world, um, the power of the, the still photo is still undeniable. You know, we tend to think in still images, and, you know, it, it does raise the bar, I think, for serious photographers in that we want to be able to, you know, it's still the, it's still about the content. And if you can create good content, you are going to move people. You're gonna you're gonna get people to react to 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 imagery. And sure, there are a lot of a lot more competition, if you will, out there. But as far as sort of serious uh, photographers, I think more and more are coming on. Um, a strong image is is still a, a very powerful thing. Well, it is true that, you know, what we're seeing now is sort of a democratization of this technology that is unparalleled, as you said before. I hadn't thought about it, but it is true that the inauguration of um, President Obama was the most attended event in Washington, D.C.'s history. And when you consider the fact of how ubiquitous digital camera technology is now in, as you point out, phones, some MP3 players... There are, you know, the the newest version of the Nintendo Game Boy, the, the DS, is going to have a camera on it. So soon, you know, every single watch you buy, every pair of eyeglasses will probably have some imaging potential. So you're right. It probably was the single most documented event in human history, at least by cameras. And you're also right. It presents a challenge for the pro as to how to set themselves apart to, you know, either have the technological advantage or the skill advantage or the opportunity advantage to be able to provide a project, a product that stands out. Yeah, yeah, no question. And, and you know, I, one of the other books I, I did goes back to 2001, of course, another, uh, not, a, not a great moment in our history, but uh, <laughs> during 9-11 in New York. Um, and if you think back to that time in 2001, I mean, it's not that long ago, but yet, uh, you know, Cameras within phones were not very common. Um, as much as yes, there was you know some coverage of it. Um, it, it it's nothing like it it is it is now, and that was only you know a few short years ago. So when you try and imagine what things will be like in five or eight or ten years from now in terms of of uh, you know the, the the digital capture landscape, um, it's it's almost. You know, it, it, it helps to be a science fiction writer because I bet there's going to be a lot of stuff that we can't even predict right now that is, is going to be uh, coming out not so long from now. Well, you know, speaking of that, it, it's interesting to mark that probably the most circulated and viewed photograph of the recent crash landing of that plane in the Hudson River was taken with an iPhone. 
Absolutely, so, and, and and that underlines Scott, and and I'm, I'm, you may or may not agree with me, but that 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 definitely undermines the fact that uh, you know there's all this uh, sort of uh, geek talk about resolution, and uh, you know the pixel peepers out there, they're going to try and talk about you know the noise level and so on, but in the end, um, it's not about all that. It's about the content. It's about the ability for a photograph to you know either create an atmosphere or record something that's truly extraordinary or I, I mean it's not about the pixels it's not even about the quality um, as we know from you know f- in, you know photographers that are using toy cameras or holgas or whatever and and there are photographers there are art photographers doing serious um, things with their their phone cameras so yeah I, I, that's a very good point well I agree with you uh, that content is king but I also have to point out that that is no excuse for the camera in the iPhone to be as craptastic as it is. It's one of my pet peeves that in my incredibly cool iPhone that can do almost anything, it's still got a really, really weak camera with no flash, no autofocus, no zoom. I could go on and on. But I, I know, I know. And, and the other thing, Scott, too, is, and you're probably aware and probably have downloaded some of these very cool apps that have come out that utilize your iPhone's, uh, you know, camera, and they're they're way cooler than the camera is good. Which, I know. It's it's like having, you know, uh, it's like having a, a diamond collar around, you know, uh, around a pile of poop. Exactly. It's still a pile exactly. of poop. I know. And then they've got great uh, on iPhone editing tools now available, but you're working with with a really bad image, so that's a yeah, little. But that, then again, that, not one that uh, you know couldn't be on the cover of uh, the New York Times. Yeah, but how? You know, what am I going to do? Stand around waiting for another plane to land in the Hudson <laughs> River? Come on. Yeah, hopefully not. What are the odds? Now, you generally shoot with a camera a little bit better than the iPhones, right? You're you're a Nikon D3 guy these days. Yes, I am. So how are you, how are you loving the D3? That is sort of a um, an aspirational camera, right? Well, there, there's no question. I mean, I think it's 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 a game changer, frankly. And you know, I I've been a Nikon guy uh, since the beginning, uh, 1974, probably before you were born, when I got my first uh, Nikon FM2. But this D3 um, has has changed the game in that. It, it's low light sensitivity, as I think a lot of your viewers know, and it you know can be argued. And I'm not just saying with that camera, but you know, on, on many cameras that are out there by other manufacturers too. But the D3 and its low light sensitivity is better than anything that the film world had ever provided. There's no question in my mind. And I, I you know, I used to push film, especially in the old Tri-X days, and you know, 3200. It was like golf ball grain size. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I've been using the D3. I've been using it in Africa. I'm using it in very low light situations at 3200, 6400 even, even, without any noise reduction and getting kind of a beautiful um, uh, image that you don't, you know, the first thing you see is the image. You don't see the technique. You don't see the grain or whatever. So if you can see it, you can capture it, and and this is something that I think is is relatively new. And I suspect with cameras like the D3, we're going to start to see a whole new kind of available light type of photography that that we've never seen before. Uh, as photographers really, you know, take take advantage of of the amazing uh, light sensitivity uh, with, with that camera. Yeah, that's something about the uh, D3 that I really covet, and and I'm a Canon shooter. And I admire Nikon's decision to use that full frame sensor, but keep the megapixel count 
you know, not low because I forget, is it 12 or 15? I forget. It's 12, 12 megapixels. 12, 12 megapixels, megapixels, which is not low, but now that, you know, there, everybody's in a leapfrogging game, you know, it's not an outstandingly high megapixel count, but by doing that, they really enabled that camera to control the noise so much better than some of these cameras that, you know, get into the 20 and 22 megapixel territory where you're just cramming so many pixels onto that physical space that, you know, your, your noise goes up. I, I love the fact that you can still get a poster size print with the D3, but take it by candlelight. You know, there, there's no question. And, and certainly, um, you know, I have a project that I'm, I'm probably going to eventually upgrade to a D3X, which is from what all accounts, uh, you know, as good in terms of low light sensitivity, not quite the range, but it's 24 megapixels. Right. But I will tell you that um, uh, the last book I did uh, called The Republicans, it was based on the Republican Convention of 2004 here, were shot on uh, Nikon D70s, which were six megapixels, if you can remember that far back. Mm-hmm. Ask your, your grandfather, he'll probably tell <laughs> and 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 it was a long time ago. Yet um, I was able to make beautiful prints. They came out really nice in the book, and uh, I had an exhibition. And the prints were, I believe, seventeen by two inch, and they look great. They're black and white, and uh, so there's no question that when you double and and you know say that it's a full frame sensor, the quality is almost exponentially better. Um, as well, um, it's it's it just keeps getting and better and better. But how good is it enough? I had friends who, you know, used very small megapixels, made big prints, and they look great. Well, you know, the technology just gets better every day, which is why, as you say, it's a very, very cool time to be a photographer. And I'm excited about the noise control because I love available light. No, no, no question. And, you know, I'm not using the flash very often. I, I know that there are a lot of photographers out there, out there that do beautiful things with flash. Um, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, photography is always a compromise. You want the light to be beautiful all the time. Um, it isn't always, so sometimes you have to help it along. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding that uh, I think it's a good idea to sort of take some with flash and take some without and then decide, you know, what worked best in, in a lot of situations. But more and more, um, I'm I'm loving the sort of low light capabilities of of, of just shooting without flash at all. Well, uh, you know, you're I, I don't want to say primarily I don't want to pigeonhole you, but you're certainly uh, majorly a documentarian uh, journalist kind of photographer. I would imagine that being able to shoot without a flash helps you kind of preserve the spontaneity or the informality or the um, what's the the authenticity of the moment, right? Because you're not flashing this distracting light at people while you're trying to capture them being themselves. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, the one main, you know, possible downside, you know, of a camera like the D3, it, it is a big camera mm-hmm. and, and people kind of notice it. Right. And, uh, uh, so, so you have to kind of work against that to kind of, you know, be able to blend in and, and take some time and then people will eventually forget. Um, but there's no question that, uh, yeah, every time you, you take a flash, it's going to, you know, point to you, right. all fingers point to you. And, and that's often not a place you want to be. You want to be kind of fly on the wall or right. you don't want to influence anything that's happening in front of you. You just want to be able to record it in the most effective way. So available light makes a lot of sense in those situations. Is there another camera that you either carry or use, a little compact camera you like to take around? or? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm definitely an an advocate, and uh, you know, working on that campaign with uh, Carson Cressley. I know we're I know that's one of the things we'll talk about. But and uh, we're we're 20 minutes into it. We haven't even started on our main topic. But just, oh my god, just, this is okay, bad. We're, yeah, we're just getting on too well, Steve. But go ahead. What do you? Like? I do have I do have my iPhone, which is my basic okay. camera, and I use that to sort of take a picture of where I parked at the airport, mm-hmm. for example, so that I don't have to uh, run around uh, for four hours, tears in my eyes, can't find my <laughs> car kind of thing. It's, it's great for little kind of records like that, but so too is um, having uh, a small camera. And uh, um, a carry-around camera as a professional, I wanted sort of a, a you know, really high-end one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because I'm an icon guy, I've, I've got the 6000, which is a beautiful little camera. Um, is that a Coolpix? Uh, the Coolpix 6000. Okay. You know, it feels good in my hands. I haven't really taken advantage. It even geotags uh, images, which is really cool, um, especially now with, uh, you know, some of the Apple software that takes advantage yep. of that stuff. Um, but the trick is, and I think for the listenership out there, um, you know, don't get hung up necessarily on, on on a lot of things other than the fact the main thing is you want that camera to be something that you're going to take with you um, and have with you so that you can record stuff when it, when it, when it comes up. If you have like a D3, um, you know, which is a four or five thousand dollar camera, and you leave it at home, uh, it's better to have that iPhone because that's the one that you're going to end up using. So you want it to be comfortable. You want it to sort of fit into your pocket or your purse or whatever it is that you uh, that you uh, carry with you. And and you know, the more you use it, you know, the better the camera is, regardless of what it is. All right. Well, talking about look good in pictures, let's talk about look good in pictures. This is a series of videos that Nikon put out for free. Uh, You can find it at lookgoodinpictures.com. And although the uh, videos uh, are uh, produced by Nikon and feature some Nikon products, certainly, you know, 99% of the tips and techniques that are demonstrated are not brand specific, right? They're just general kind of photography tips. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, and Carson Cressley is sort of the the main spokesperson. I I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I got this gig, but I'm glad it did. It it turned out to be a lot of fun. I ended up you know learning a lot uh, in the process. So and basically, basically the theme that unites them it's it's all about since it is Carson who uh, I guess got to start with uh, what was it queer eye for the yeah. straight guy. Right, I think right. right? Um, he was the fashionista. The fashionista. That that's a good word. Yeah, he uh, judged me. By the way, he 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 judged you, huh? He judged me. Yeah, he sort of fixed me up. I was, uh, you know, the sleeves were just I don't know <laughs> hanging wrong or whatever. And uh, did, did he? I, I see in the video your shirt is untucked. Did he untuck you or? Uh, no, I think that okay. goes back to my Canadian <laughs> roots, where Wayne Gretzky used to sort of wear his shirt, you know, partly untucked. And I've, I've I used to live in Edmonton, so I kind of kept it that way. And the videos in general focus on how to make either yourself, you know, if you are the model, how to look better in photos, but also how to make your subjects look better in all kinds of situations like vacations, holidays, an evening around the house, weddings. Um, how many of these did you, did you participate in? Do you know offhand? 
Well, I, you know, offhand, I would probably say, you know, I, I basically had kind of three um, assignments for right. this, including my, my original assignment was to photograph, you know, the, the picture that, that will, that leads the page where he's kind of looking back okay. at yeah. the videos that were made. Um, but it ended up, I, I think I'm probably in like five or six of them or okay. seven of them even. And, uh, you know, because they ended up documenting uh, the shoot. Right. So, so that's, that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of how it how it worked. Well, they used your shoot with Carson as kind of a build-in to taking the perfect portrait. So we're going to talk about that today. Let's talk about some of the techniques you and Carson threw out there to uh, to improve uh, a portrait from both the photographers and the models' point of view. Okay, absolutely, sure. So let, let's start with kind of the general kind of attitudinal tips that you gave out. You talked a lot about. The the whole point of it is to have fun and to make your subject feel comfortable. How important is that? You know, I think it's it's hugely important. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, see, the thing is, you know, a portrait session, I think a lot of people's understanding of photography is family gatherings where, you know, everybody smile and there's one shot taken. It takes a fraction of a second and people move on. But in order to really get, you know, strong, natural portraits, um, it, it takes a little more than that. It takes a little investment in time, and, and both your subject and you, the photographer, know that we're going to take the next 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is that you have, and, and you're just going to just kind of relax. And, 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 and I think feeling comfortable is really important. I, uh, there, was, there was, I don't know if it was um, Richard Avedon or Irving Penn, but I heard stories of a uh, very well-known portrait photographer in the film days who would basically shoot, you know, the first roll or two without any film in the camera uh, because he knew right. that, uh, you know, a lot of those images would, you know, he knew that from experience those first couple of rolls would, would not factor in in that final uh, selection because it took that long, it takes that long for people to really start to feel comfortable, particularly if they're not professional models. So, so relaxing and just kind of having fun and, and letting them, the, the, the person that's being photographed feel comfortable is, is essential for the most part, unless you're doing kind of a, an Avedon-esque image that you want someone to look uncomfortable or, or you know, because you, you're trying to portray them in a certain way. But that's, that's not what this thing is about. You know, my first memory of seeing a photographer in uh, action was in this very bad movie, I guess from the 80s, called The Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, I sort of remember that movie. Faye Dunaway movie. And uh the protagonist was a high fashion photographer. And so he's got all the models out on on some set and there's disco music playing and he's shouting, give it to me, baby, make love to the camera. Did did you do that? Do you use music? Do do Uh, Do you yell at your subjects? What do you do? Um, well, you know what? I mean, maybe the lingo has changed a little bit, but, uh, but I think, you know, that still is very important because, you know, people generally are not uncomfortable. And frankly, I don't know about you, Scott, but me as a photographer, I'm, I'm much more comfortable behind the camera than in front of it. And if you've ever, you know, had to be, had to endure uh, a photo session that, 
didn't really work out so well, you know that it, it can be very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it, it definitely helps to keep that communication and dialogue open. And I think you'll see that a lot when you look at these videos. And, and Carson is fantastic at that because he's, he's always diffusing uh, any kind of uncomfortableness with humor. And, and I think that's what you really need to do, uh, anything to make the subject feel good. And by communicating to them, hey, you're looking good, and you know that's perfect, that's great, um, that just all helps. That's what we want to hear. So you got to kind of give them what they want to hear to a, to a large extent. Some photographers uh, like to share a couple of shots, you know, off the LCD with their subject. They think that helps. Do you ever do that? Well, you know what? I, I think, uh, you know, that can be a good idea, but I don't like to do that, mm-hmm. to be honest. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. And I use it more as a last resort because um, I know, particularly working in Africa, um, you know, once the word gets out that there's this image popping up on the back of your camera, particularly if there are kids around, forget about it. Right. You can't work anymore because you're going to be crowded every time you click the shutter. Everyone wants to, to look at the picture. Um, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Although, yes, you know, when it comes to sort of looking for a certain look or trying to explain to someone what is not working and what maybe you want them to do, that can be useful. But I think, you know, personally with my experience, uh, I'd rather just be able to sort of communicate and sort of take the technical um, out of the shoot and, mm-hmm. and, and not worry about that so much because I can sort of know what's going on. Although, you know, I, I, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it, it could backfire in the sense that, you know, how people view themselves. A lot of people, even though they look good, to them they don't look good. Right. Or it takes a little while to get used to. And, and if they see something that, oh, I didn't think I looked like that, or if they don't like what they see, that could really kind of you know create a downward spiral for the rest of the session. Yeah, I would imagine that that's the risk, right, is if you have someone who uh, likes the image on the back of the LCD, it might help you a little bit, but if they're really unhappy with what they see, you're dead. There's no going exactly, back. Exactly, right? exactly. They take so, one look at that picture and go, oh my God, I look like I, like a whale. Right, no right. And that's why, you know, one of the episodes that we did was, was a little bit pressure packed, and that was at Times Square where we did a clinic where we had to sort of, you know, make someone sort of look regular or maybe not so good, and then in the next picture, make them look better. So, I mean, you know, when it's when the image is being uh, projected on a flat screen television <laughs> for everyone to see, right. uh, you know it's it's tough. It's tough because uh, you know I, I don't know about you. I mean, do you love the way you look in pictures generally? I'm not as much as I love the way I look in my imagination. No. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I bet you some of the pictures that you like um, that you've uh, of yourself, and I find this with me, are the much more relaxed, natural, even candid uh, moments that were captured. Maybe not all that often, but you know that those are the ones that often um, we tend to like the most, where we just we're, we're relaxed. Yeah, I, I know. I have to point out, I have a friend. I'll give a shout out to my friend Claudia the other day, who was telling me about she was going through some old pictures and she found her absolute all time favorite picture of herself. And I know she's a person, you know, who's had, you know, posed pictures taken and portraits taken. And the picture she showed was, you know, from somebody's apartment and she was with a group of friends and she was in profile and it looked like she was in mid sentence when the shot was taken. And there was just something about that shot 
that spoke to her and it was never, you, you know, you would never pick it out of a hundred shots and say, this is going to be somebody's favorite shot of themselves. But And that's a funny thing. That I mean, everyone's, everyone's a different editor, yeah. right, when it comes to, to the images. And, you know, part of this whole campaign is, I think a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, directed toward more of the, the amateur market, sort of the non, sort of in you know, hobbyists, but I think a lot of people get in into photography with these little cameras, and then they they get seduced by it. They get they get the bug that we caught, and they don't look back and they get deeper into it. But you're starting to see a lot of people, you know, use these images in you know in social networking sites, and right. and that's become a real um, good use. And I think part of the campaign that's been good is to educate people. You know, if they're um, going to use these portraits for you know online dating or right. you know for for those kinds of things where you want to kind of you know, put your best image forward. Right. Well, yeah. Anybody with a Facebook or a MySpace page now, you know, could use a portrait of themselves or a Twitter account, you know? Exactly. You, you have exactly. a little box and then you got to show something in yeah. it. Of course, I use mine from like 1971 when I was young and, uh, you know, haven't uh, taken it off. In my Twitter account, I <laughs> use the cover art for this podcast. So <laughs> I, I look great because I'm not in it. Um, well, one thing that's very easy in the digital age is to overshoot. And you recommend that, right? Yeah, I, I totally do. I, I think that, uh, you know, in the digital age, uh, it's, it definitely makes sense for the most part because, you know, there's no real downside to it. I mean, storage has become cheap. Uh, the, the, the cards, the SD cards, the compact flash cards are, uh, have really come down so much in price that um, it's better to kind of err on the side of having too many so that, you know, when you do look and start to edit the, the, the shoot, um, you know, you've got, 38 frames to choose from instead of 21 and maybe the the diamond image is going to be number 31 but you never would have got there had you not worked it uh, you know till the point and 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 you know as mentioned earlier i think that whole idea of getting comfortable in front of the camera comes with um you know the shoot sort of progressing and people start to sort of understand what it feels like to have so many pictures taken of them we're we're, we're generally not used to it you know it's usually that one frame and then that's it and and i'll just add another tip and that was um on, in this series, you know, when you you get that one frame, you know, that everyone's posing and holding their breath for, after that frame is taken, that's often the time when, you know, the more relaxed, mm -hmm. uh, greatest pictures uh, come when people just kind of exhale and, and smile and uh, and become themselves again. Well, do, do you ever shoot portraits on continuous speed or high speed where, you know, it takes, uh, in five seconds, it takes 20 shots so that you get those no. in-between moments? You're not a believer in that? No, I'm not really. I mean, I think it's plenty fast to sort of, you know, shoot one at a time, but just sort of sort of shoot consistently right. one at a time. So you're in control of the moment. I mean, obviously in, in, in sports photography or in situations where things are happening really fast, that kind of burst shooting, um, you know, may pay dividends. And, you know, even arguably in, in, in portraits where, where things are moving relatively fast. But, but I don't think there's a need for that kind of mm -hmm. uh, continuous speed when it comes to this. Better to sort of, you know, be in control and understand the moment that you're using to, to trigger that shutter for, the, for the, the expression or the moment that you're trying to capture. Now, speaking of making our subjects look better, one of the tips you give in the, in the show is how to deal with something that I understand some people suffer from, Steve, certainly not me, um, no. which would be a double chin or maybe a little bit of that waddle you get. 
as we get into middle age, some softening there. What can you do? And it's so common, Steve. What can you do yeah. to uh, minimize that appearance? Well, I mean, you can have work done, but that's <laughs> the, I, painful. I, they told me in my case it would be over 100000 So, <laughs> But I think, you know, there are a couple of little things that we can do to sort of, you know, do an, you know, have an advantage over that. And that is uh, pretty simple. Uh, shoot from a higher angle. Okay. Um, and when you do that, and I would do that often when it, when it came to this series, I would maybe sometimes even stand on a little box or a stool or something so I can get a higher angle. When you shoot down, it kind of eliminates that. Um, and and it, it completely uh, de-emphasizes and eliminates uh, anything going on under the chin. And, uh, you know, also uh, when lighting is to sort of, you know, have it coming uh, from a higher angle, from uh, up above, um, which also might just throw any of those unwanted areas in terms of what you want to show uh, into shadow or, or just complete darkness. It, it completely, um, with the combination of an, a high angle and uh, kind of lighting it a little bit from, from above, um, that, could, that could really... Um, you know, make that not no longer a problem. And so when you say a high angle, about a foot higher than your subject? or I mean, I guess you don't want yeah. to go too high or you'll get some distortion, right? Yeah, I guess I guess I would stand on a stool for tall people. I mean, I'm I'm about five eleven myself, but uh, uh, you know, it depends on the subject, of course. And uh, yeah, you know, any 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 sort of um, uh, I think a foot. I think you nailed it. I think that that would generally um, work. But I mean, you'll see it. You'll see it in the viewfinder. You'll see it in reality as you sort of um, you know raise your head or stand on your toes and, and and take a look as to how things are looking. And then you have your subject look up a little bit at you. Are they, are they looking yeah, straight ahead or yeah. they're looking up at you? Yeah, because you're sort of at a high angle, if, if they want to make eye contact with you slash the camera slash the viewer that ultimately sees the portrait, uh, chances are they're, they're going to be looking up a little bit. And just, just by looking up, they're minimizing whatever's going on under the chin, right? It stretches it Absolutely. out. Absolutely. So basically, Absolutely. if you are a um, subject of Steve's and he climbs on a stool and tells you to look up, he, he's basically calling you fat. So you could feel free. Okay. You feel free to slap you said him. That. You feel free I, to slap. I did not. Well, it's, you know, look, I did not. It's not even fat. Look, I <laughs> my, look myself. Let's be honest. Once we get yeah. over forty, over all 30. of us, all of us have you know a little bit of uh, stuff going on. You know, between the chin and the neck, that that gravity just continually tugs at. The longer we're on the earth the more fun gravity seems to have with us, right? That's right. I would imagine most people look better from slightly above, right? Yeah. And, you know, again, we're talking about making people look good in pictures, but, I mean, you know, you could look at uh, beautiful portraits of older people that, you know, kind of show off everything in their face, right. all the little, you know, lines and, you know, the roadmap of their life. And this is, this, is, this is where the journalist side of your aesthetic comes in. Sometimes what's exactly. beautiful and moving and what you connect with is not somebody who is, you know, necessarily looking their prettiest or most handsome. It's somebody who's looking their most real and their most authentic, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think for me personally, as a photographer in my personal work, that's what really interests me, right. uh, you know, the, the, the real person. Um, but, you know, when it comes to ourselves and our own portrayal, you know, we want to put our best foot forward. We want to look as good as we can. It's not really a lie. Um, it's just, it's our best you. And that's that's what this whole campaign has been uh, really about. And that is sort of projecting uh, your best you and being able to record amongst your peers, you know, the, the, the best case scenario of a particular situation or a person. So I'm going to just jump around a little bit 
here because while while you're while we sort of talk about the um the the differences between portrait photography that maybe somebody's paying for where you need to you know they're paying probably to look their best as opposed to look their most real perhaps yeah. often the case right and yeah, um yeah. versus sort of the journalistic aesthetic something uh, another uh sort of contrast I wanted to ask you about while I had you on the line was you spoke earlier when you were doing your work documenting HIV in Africa that you chose to shoot in color because color is something that uh, helps you tell a story in a certain way that in the Western world we're used to seeing in pictures. I was looking at your website today. I saw some of the pictures. Uh, it might have been from the inauguration. I saw some pictures of Obama taken in black and white. So right. how, how do you aesthetically make that choice about when you use black and white versus color and how do they affect the viewer differently? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you know, grew up in photography and, uh, you know, I've always had uh, an affection for sort of uh, the, the, the stars that I looked up to when I was coming up as a young photographer and black and white photography was always at the, uh, the forefront of it. And because I'm interested in documentary, um, I do say that in my opinion, um, black and white allows the photographer to cut to the content. It, it um, eliminates uh, certain distractions that you're, you're not, that you're not going to have in black and white that you might in color. Um, although I do remember the quote of uh, Tom Kennedy, who was a former uh, you know, National Geographic photo editor, very wise uh, man when it comes to visuals, and he said that um, you know, good color when it comes to documentary work, will amplify the content of what it is that you're looking at. And I think that is where I was going uh, with the work I did on AIDS in Africa. Um, but when it comes to black and white, like, for instance, you know, in politics, uh, I shot both the, um, the Republican and the Democrat convention. And uh, it was interesting to me, you know, as, as, as far as they differ uh, ideologically, the similarities in the theater that was going on at both these conventions. And one way to convey that um, was to convert things to black and white. So, so yeah, I, I will look at it kind of as a, on a subject-to-subject -subject basis. And, and then sometimes your visuals just don't allow you to maybe get good color. If you're working indoors in artificial light and you don't have uh, the tools to be able to uh, supplement the light and make it what you need it to be, then black and white can be kind of a, a scapegoat for you to, mm -hmm. to be able to tell that story better than, than color would. So I look at it uh, really as a, I let the subject matter and my own view of the subject determine how I want to portray it. And I certainly love black and white. Right. If for black and white, especially with lighting, especially in low light, it's more forgiving and people are more tolerant of grain in a black and white photo too. And there's like a timeless quality, of course, mm -hmm. that I think many of us are used to. And I have to say that in the digital realm, I mean, black and white is awesome. I have, I have uh, done a lot of digital. I shoot everything digital now. I'm a completely digital guy. And, um, you know, I convert stuff to black and white and I'll make these 
beautiful prints in black and white and you know uh, arguably you have so much control I was never as much as I spent so many hours in the dark room in the old days I never was a true artist in the dark room and there are very few of those that can claim that mm-hmm. and can do such a great job but now we all have that opportunity with the uh, the tools that are, are there for us so so black and white is a real choice for us now we can do beautiful things with black do, and white. do you shoot everything in raw I shoot everything in raw. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, when you yeah, when you're shooting, do you set your um, camera? If you're shooting, well, do you shoot in black and white mode ever on your camera? So or are you always shooting in color mode? I'm always shooting in color mode. You know, even in the film days when I shot black and white, it was sort of a commitment. It was sort of a a, a feeling. It was uh, because I still saw the world in color. I yeah. mean, I'm still looking through the viewfinder like I did with my film cameras, and I see things in color. But if I know I'm in that black and white mindset, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, it's It's kind of a little bit in the background, it's a little bit in the subconscious, but, but certainly, you know, you know, when you're in a situation where, Oh my God, the color is amazing. You know, it sort of doesn't make sense to shoot black and white. I know that maybe some photographers want to commit and, and maybe set it to black and white and maybe see the image in black and white. But I actually try not to look too much at my review screen. Are you, you're not um, a chimper. I'm not a chimper. I don't really like that term. Really. I think it's, uh, you know, we've got to come up with a more sophisticated term for reviewing our images. But I'm not because I think it, 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 it interrupts with the flow of what you're doing during the shooting process. And for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's, it's all about concentration. And the minute you kind of, you know, start to look back, it, it takes you out of the movie, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely will look at the histogram to make sure my exposures are, are correct. But I really try not to look and interrupt the process as much as I, I, I possibly can. Uh, other than when you're in your Times Square doing um, photo exhibitions, are you ever a tetherer? Do you ever shoot tethered? I, I haven't done it um, so much, but I have actually, I think, you know, in my teaching life, um, that could be right. a really valuable tool right. because, you know, you can hook it up to a projector and then you can see right away what you're doing. So it's really cool. I think it's, I think it's, it's fun um, and has its, its uses, but uh, um, I, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't really used it all that much. I, I don't do the kind of photography um, that, that people would, would want to, you know, tether their camera for, for the most part. All right. Well, Steve, you know, we have more we could go over from the looking good in pictures videos that you did that are available at uh, lookinggoodinpictures.com. Uh, your portraiture tips as well as some of the others, but I did promise I'd have you out by a certain time. We're already way over because I'm enjoying talking to you too much. It's not good. So let's quickly tell everybody that if they would like to learn more about you and see your photos, they can go to stevesimonphoto.com. If they're in the New York City area or if they're willing to commute to enhance their skills, where can they, uh, f- where can, where can they learn from you? Because you do some teaching. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I teach um, I teach in the in the documentary program at the International Center of Photography uh, called ICP here in New York, and uh, I'm actually um, going to be working with the School of Visual Arts with this new online master's program that they're starting up uh, next fall, which I'm pretty excited about. I'll be dealing with the uh, editorial component of it, and so, so that's uh, doing online. A, oh. 
What's that? So that's online, so people that's don't have to be That's going to be an online okay. digital master's program affiliated with the School of Visual Arts, which, which is something, as far as I know, for a master's program, rather unique. And that's a great, and, that's uh, a very well-regarded, accredited school. It's not like Joe's uh, Correspondence School of Photography. Yeah, yeah. No, there's <laughs> no, there's no um, uh, question. And Katrine, um, how to pronounce her last name? Estrain? Uh, she's a, a real digital guru, and she heads up the, the okay. program, so it promises to be uh, something really, really cool. Um, and I'm, I do workshops. I'm going to be doing a Nikon mentor workshop in Oregon um, in June, and at, in Maine, at the Maine workshops, I'm going to do this project workshop, which I'm excited about, which is going to be for people that are in the midst of working on sort of long-term projects. So uh, That sounds so. very cool. I, I want to take a workshop with you now. We'll have to talk. That would be great. I would love it. I've never I been to Oregon. It. I would love it. And I'm sure very few people who are in the audience <laughs> have been to Oregon, so we'll have to get a, a couple of listeners to go. I'm sure there are some Oregonians uh, in your listenership out there. Listen, Oregonians are the salt of the earth, not like Absolutely. those Canadians. <laughs> I mean, you know about them. No comment. I bet you you <laughs> probably have a lot of Canadian fans that you've just kind of... Uh, Hurt a little bit. No, but, we uh, love we we love the can our neighbors to the north is. I used to. There live, you go. I used to. I spent. I just give you an opportunity to make amends. I spent three years living in Vermont, so I actually was a Canadian. Yeah, you're honorary <laughs> because you're honorary. you know Montreal was the only place you could go for any culture <laughs> that was exactly. you know within a day's driving. So That's my home city, no question. Anything else you want to share or talk about while we're on the air? Before we say goodbye to you, any last minute uh, mentions or shout outs you want to do? Gosh, you know, I, I just uh, this was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have an opportunity to talk again. Um, and and you, just, you'd have to say this is better than you know the conversations on that other podcast, right? Those bastards <laughs> on that other podcast—they're not nice like you. Uh, we have more uh, fun. Well, we'll we'll, exactly. we'll have to dish up about that off the air. But Steve, thank you very much. You know what? Maybe you'll have to be a semi-regular on our show because we had too much fun, and there's too much we didn't get to. Absolutely. Be happy to, Scott. Great, great speaking with you. All right. Well, nice meeting you virtually. Same here. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Michael, what can I tell you? I had a great time talking with Steve. I think that anyone who listened could tell we were fast friends, and I think we'll have him back on the show. Excellent. Good to hear. Hey, maybe he could be the judge of our photo contest. Maybe you have to ask him first. And and he'd have to agree. He seemed like he was having a good time. I I believe he did have a good time. All right. Well, we hope you all had a good time, too. Michael, remind everybody, if they want to contact us, where should they write? Write to us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. And then I'm putting in the links to uh, Facebook and Twitter and Flickr group and all of that stuff in our show notes from now on on Scott's photo blog uh, so we don't have to go through all of them. That was a suggestion of at least one listener, right? Yes. So we'll mention them, but we won't dwell on them. But we will dwell on our photography. Wish you all a great, great week and we'll be back with you soon. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.